0: Hello, everybody. I'm Ron Waxman. We are covering ACC 2021. It was virtual this year, and one of the most, uh, among the most interesting presentations was the one from Paul Richter, always comes with some new concepts, uh, old concepts with new drugs on anti-inflammation for fighting CBD. Welcome, Paul. Paul is from uh, Harvard Medical School.
1: Ron, it's always good to be here with you and CRT21. I I hope we can start to see you in person very soon.
0: Yeah, that's uh, our plan. In any event, um, you know, a lot has been going uh, since the Cantos trial uh, that you presented, I think, four years ago almost or three years ago? 2017. So almost four years ago, yeah. And initially, there was a huge enthusiasm, then there was the price of the drug, and then or some other studies that were coming and maybe you can give us an update from then to now where are we standing with the anti-inflammatory um, therapeutics? Uh, sure. In addition to LDL reduction which everybody knows. Sure so Ron it's actually
1: been an extraordinary several years uh, and you're right so CANTOS is a landmark in the sense that it's the first proof of principle that we have a target beyond ApoB and beyond LDL cholesterol that really will make a big difference. So remember, what Kantos was doing was targeting the central interleukin-1 to interleukin-6 pathway of innate immunity that ultimately generates the biomarker that we've been measuring for years, the CRP. And of course, Cantos was using an interleukin-1 beta inhibitor and it worked. And the point that it worked is the crucial thing. We got a 15 to 20% reduction in cardiovascular event rates with no change in LDL or ApoB or blood pressure or glucose. So that's big, right? It tells us on top of high dose statins, inflammation matters. But Ron, Ron you're right. Uh, the, the revelatory finding in Cantos that changed things was that we also had this 60 to 70% reduction in lung cancer. So in fact, that drug is being moved into the oncology space rather than cardiovascular. But we learned very soon thereafter that colchicine, an inexpensive generic drug that you and I as cardiologists might use once in a while for pericarditis, uh, also has anti-inflammatory effects in that same interleukin-1 to interleukin-6 pathway. And the large-scale Colcott and Lidoco-2 trials tell us Here's an inexpensive way to attack inflammation that maybe all of us in the cardiovascular community have to pay some attention to. Two large-scale trials, you know, 25% risk reductions. That looks very real. So I think that the inflammation hypothesis is here to stay. And our question
0: becomes, how
1: do we implement it in practice?
0: So this time, you presented the phase two trial of fazitavikamab. Uh, a new molecule on the same direction, also interleukin-6 inhibitor, is that correct? Uh, That's
1: right, Ron. So uh, the new data that we presented at the ACC was from a clinical trial called RESCUE, which was a phase two study of a novel interleukin-6 ligand monoclonal antibody. That's a lot, but it's important to understand why. Um, Most of us think the central actor in the atherosclerotic innate immune pathway is interleukin-6 itself. I mean, in Cantos, the drug worked in everyone, but it worked really well in the people who had a robust reduction in interleukin-6, which is downstream from IL-1. So we think that targeting IL-6 itself is the way to go. Well, to get to a large phase three outcome trial, we had to do the phase two study first. So uh, ZILTAVECAMAB is the name of the drug. It's a monoclonal antibody that targets the IL-6 ligand. We randomized some 264 individuals uh, to various different doses of the drug and placebo. And we got large dose-dependent reductions in CRP. That was our primary endpoint. But the first thing to tell you, Ron, is the reductions were very large. So in Cantos, we got 30 to 35% reductions in CRP. We're now getting 85 to 95% reductions in CRP. So much more potent and much more directed to IL-6 itself. We also got large reductions in fibrinogen, serum amyloid A, secretory phospholipase A2, very interesting, lipoprotein little A, there's a whole biology about uh, what IL-6 does for lp little a um, but what we also got was safety data, so we had uh, no evidence of an increased risk of infection, uh, we had no increase in thrombocytopenia or neutropenia, uh, we had no injection site reactions, that's not surprising, it's a, human, a fully human monoclonal But importantly, for the cardiovascular community, particularly those of us who know something about inflammation biology, we did not have any change in atherogenic lipids. So the ApoB to ApoA ratio, for example, was neutral. That's actually quite important because the IL-6 inhibitors that our rheumatology colleagues use for, say, rheumatoid arthritis or inflammatory bowel disease or lupus, um, those actually raise LDL, and that's been a problem. This particular drug does not. And we think, therefore, that's an advantage. Um, a couple of caveats, it's not a huge trial. It's 264 people carried for 24 weeks. But the important thing was it was enough data for Novo Nordisk to say, hey, you know, it's time to launch a major cardiovascular outcome trial. Uh, so, Ron, at the ACC, I also had the pleasure of announcing the launch of that study, uh, along with my colleague, Vlado Perkovic, who you may know as a nephrologist, uh, he and I will co chair this trial. And the reason we have a nephrologist involved is that um, Zeus, the Ziltovecimab cardiovascular outcome study, uh, which will launch over the summer, uh, is specifically going to be done in patients with stage three and four chronic kidney disease who have prior atherosclerosis and an elevated CRP. The reason for focusing on CKD is twofold. As you know, these are very high risk patients who. You know, cardiovascular events is going to dominate their medical history much more than their renal failure. So that's number one. It's a very large, unmet need. Uh, but many cardiologists may not know that colchicine cannot be given to patients with renal failure. Uh, it's renally excreted, and therefore, it's really kind of at least relatively, if not absolutely contraindicated. So we know we're going to need a novel anti inflammatory for this very high risk group. So we're targeting CKD atherosclerosis elevated CRP, which is, by the way, was exactly the entry criterion for the rescue trial that we just presented the data on. So Zeus will launch in um, investigative meetings are being planned now for June and July. And hopefully we'll have the first patient randomized by September, large scale multinational trial, 6,000 patients. And uh, the secondary endpoint, uh, the primary endpoint is what you and I care most about, You know, major adverse cardiovascular events. But the reason Vlado-Perkovic is involved, the reason we have a nephrologist involved the secondary endpoint is, can we slow the progression of renal disease? And the reason for that is the same fundamental underlying biology, the same signaling that goes on between the NLRP3 inflammasome, which of course activates interleukin-1, which drives production of interleukin-6, and of course makes CRP from the liver, that same pathway is involved in renal disease. So we're actually hoping here for a home run. We might well benefit the cardiovascular outcomes and benefit the kidney outcomes.
0: Yeah, uh, so I think that you're very brave to go just there after this population because usually we exclude this population for all the trials because of the uh, number of events that they have, the kind of the end of the, the road. And I mean, it's like almost the house already on fire. So what can you save? Uh, so didn't you had any reservation? I mean, just to I, I know you looked for events and you gave a very compelling argument about colchicine, but there are many other patients that cannot tolerate colchicine with heart failure and I mean we, and constipation and GI and all. That. It's not like a you know an easy no. drug to take. So just that as argumentation, I would say it's I, I get it, but still, you taking the most difficult patient population and you're trying to show efficacy on someone who already had so much burden of atherosclerosis and there's not maybe not much reserve to repair those. So what's your thoughts about that? Well, look, I
1: obviously, as someone who's been involved in the inflammation hypothesis of atherosclerosis from its very inception over 35 years ago, I understand exactly what you're saying. Um, Colchicine, I think, should make the guidelines I think it will become fairly widely used in what I call my routine atherosclerosis patients, you know, particularly my frequent flyers. The men and women who keep coming back for second and third angioplasties, have recurrent events and in whom they don't have a contraindication. Kidney function is good, and there's some rare medications that you wouldn't want to take, and you're right, uh, gastrointestinal intolerance is not great on the drug, but it's not bad. Most people tolerate it pretty well once they get used to it. Um, So that'll be our inexpensive generic anti-inflammatory until we find something better. Uh, And um, uh, the monoclonal antibodies, of course, uh, you know, they're not going to be inexpensive. So we have to figure out what's the right target for them, who's the right place to use them. Um, One of the most remarkable things, of course, Ron, remember, is that the magnitude of benefit in Cantos was actually larger than a PCSK9 inhibitor, right? That's what's extraordinary. You know, the very first inflammation reduction trial gave us a a risk reduction that was, if anything, the same as bigger than the Fourier and Odyssey. So we know this really matters. Um, Are we going after a uh, high risk population? No doubt about it. But I think that's how you push the borders. It's kind of like, it's the equivalent of going after FH, right? You go after the very high risk patients. Let's see if we can do them some good, convince physicians it matters. And then figure out who the broader population might be, but that's where we're going to start.
0: Um, would you, going back to the colchicine, would you advocate to give it to every frequent flyer or only those who comes with high CRP?
1: Well, the colchicine trials, I'm very pleased they were done, but you know they didn't measure LDL levels, they didn't measure CRP levels, they did they didn't have much of a budget. Let's be honest, they did them on you know an academic kind of budget. These are not large pharma trials. So we have what we have. I have talked for years about this concept of residual inflammatory risk, which to me is a patient who's got atherosclerosis, is already on a statin. The LDL is probably in that 70 to 80 range that we're comfortable with, but the CRP is still elevated. To me, that's the patient I would target these anti-inflammatory drugs to because their biology is different. They're, They're telling us My lipids are well controlled, but my inflammation is not. So that's where I'm currently using the drug. But I have to tell you, Ron, I will not be surprised if 10 years from now, when all this is sorted out, that all of our atherosclerosis patients will be getting profoundly aggressive lipid lowering therapy, as well as profoundly aggressive inflammation reduction therapy. Because from a biologic perspective, these two things uh, interact with each other. They both promote the disease. Uh, and long-term, I think we'll treat everybody with both. But right now, we got to figure out who truly has inflammation as their fundamental problem. Let's target them. Flip side is, let's, let's say you're on a statin, but your LDL is still above 100. Well, I, that's a patient I would consider, you know, azetamide, PCSK9, novel sRNAs, inclicerine, et cetera, because, again, we have to target that to the LDL side. Um, but I think we as cardiologists are going to get used to the idea that patients are different. Some have residual cholesterol risk, some have residual inflammatory risk, and we'll tailor our therapies to them.
0: Yeah, no, uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, we know that the statins PCSK9 are not doing everything because people continue to have an events no matter what. We know also that anti-inflammatory by itself also not gonna do everything. So the combination of both them is is good. Maybe I'll ask you a last question going back to your study, which is very exciting. would you be able to extrapolate that data to a less uh, sick patients with the chronic kidney disease like the normal population who at the high risk for inflammation or you'll have to do another large study for a regulatory process? Well um, from a strictly biologic point of view we already
1: know that if I give a powerful IL-6 inhibitor to a patient who does not have CKD, will get the same fundamental response in terms of their innate immune inhibition. So that's clear. But you're asking a more sophisticated regulatory question, Ron, and I think our regulatory agencies are always concerned, of course, with risk to benefit ratio. The CKD population, the risk will be, are we actually taking some infectious risk? But of course, the event rates are very, very high. So that's the risk to benefit ratio there. In standard secondary prevention, well, you know, we, have a, we still have risk. It's not quite as high. We probably have lower uh, infectious risk, but it's not low. And we still have to do the balance. So for better or for worse, my guess is we'd have to do other trials. But here's the really good news. Um, in the inflammation biology world, I'm very excited about ziltivecumab. I'm thrilled to be uh, driving this new clinical trial. But over the next decade, we're gonna see some very interesting new drugs. Uh, The the NLRP3 inflammasome itself, the upstream place where much of this begins, uh, there are already uh, in development, many orally available drugs that will target that. They're not ready now, it'll take a few years to get them into this arena. Um, But it's it's kind of the equivalent of perhaps an oral PCSK9 inhibitor for the lipid side, this would be a orally bioavailable drug for the inflammation side. Um, but that's going to take time to get there. We have to figure out who are the right patients, uh, what's the right time to give these drugs. I'll give you another example, Ron, uh, acute coronary ischemia. Uh, years ago, I was very nervous about going into that setting with an anti-inflammatory drug because you know, I was taught, you were taught many years ago that Patients who are in the coronary care unit, you know, don't give them ibuprofen because they might have myocardial rupture. Well, it turns out that's not true, but we didn't know that. But within Cantos, within Colcott, within uh, Lidoco 2 there are no myocardial ruptures at all despite heart attacks occurring. That's good news. That means we could start targeting acute ischemia with an anti-inflammatory drug. And, you know, that means, and and other, other people are talking about every time an elective angioplasty occurs, you know, maybe we should just squirt some innate immune inhibitor right before we do the angioplasty and start the drug then and there so we slow down the restenosis process etc. It's a pretty exciting time and I think we're going to learn an awful lot about new ways of treating patients.
0: Well thank you Paul for sharing with us the rescue data and the Zeus upcoming uh, large data and um, we just have to watch you because every every four years you're coming with a very big (laughs) news and good news in the anti-inflammatory so I'm pretty sure that uh, soon enough, we're going to hear much more news from you on this arena. So thank you so much.
1: Uh, It's always good to see you. And as I say, next time, we'll do this in person. Good.